Before we dive into Luke chapter 11, incredible text on helping us um, learn how to pray. Let's go to our Father and pray. Heavenly Father, would you show us wonderful things in your word? Send your spirit to tune our hearts and our minds and our, even our bodies to, to the authority of your word, to the beauty of your word, to the helpfulness of your word. Grant us humble postures and hungry hearts. Hope our souls know. Help us to just be keenly aware of how shrunken and shriveled we get apart from a steady diet of hearing from you. So let us hear these words as they really are. Not ink on a page, but your living and active word. And as we've prayed every week as a church, I think since we started, what every single person in this room needs most, whether they've been a Christian for 82 years or whether they, they, they're here this morning through the invitation of a friend or got drugged here by family, or they somehow wandered in these doors and they're not sure how they got here. What every single person needs is, is an encounter with Jesus that he would become more alive to us. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would lift him high, that we might leave this place more impressed and more sure of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he promises to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. This is God's flawless, helpful, um, really encouraging word for us today. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a Friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be Open to you, for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Feel free to grab a seat. C.S. Lewis, in his masterful 
series, The Chronicles of Narnia. It's this mythic, if you have not read it, it is stunning, but it's a mythic retelling of the grand narratives of, of the Bible, this idea of good and, and evil and salvation and, and, and friendship and, and epic battles and, and courage. And there's uh, 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 two central figures that I want to talk about. One of them is Lucy, this young girl that stumbled into this magical land called Narnia. And Aslan, this lion figure who is a, is a, is a, is a, is a Christ-type figure. And in this story, in Prince Caspian, this is a, a couple books into the series, and in this scene that I'm about to read to you, Lucy is going back and having a reunion with Aslan. This little girl is going back. She's grown up a little bit, and now she gets to meet uh, the, this lion that she has fallen in love with. And here, I'll read from Prince Caspian now. Aslan. Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one. He answered Aslan. Lucy says, not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. It's that line that I want to connect to this text and I want to connect to, to prayer. Every year you grow, you will find God bigger. It's not that God changes. He never changes. It's that our understanding of who he actually is, does. And as we grow, he will appear to grow. We can say it like this. The more we know of how grand and great and glorious and gracious God is, the more we grow up in our faith in Christ, the, the larger he will appear to us. And this makes all the difference in the world when it comes to prayer. Tim Keller captures this idea really well in his little book on prayer. He says this, he said, we should not decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is and prayer will follow. This is really big for this text and we're really focused more on the parable than, than the actual prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So I wanna read this again because this is gonna help to unpack or it's really gonna set you up for getting the punchline of this passage. We should not decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want. So not based on what we've gone through, not based on what we're, we're facing, not even based on like what we're trying to conjure up in us. But, but Keller offers this, he says, instead we should do everything possible to, to behold our God as he is and prayer will follow. My favorite book on prayer is not really much of a book on prayer. It's not a book on techniques and, and strategies and habits and systems and processes that undergird that. Those are all very helpful, and I would recommend and commend all of those things to all of us. But my favorite book on prayer, it's the title of this sermon, is a book by Graham Goldsworthy called Prayer and the Knowledge of God. And in it, he is saying exactly what Keller is saying, that if you want to grow in prayer, don't focus on prayer. Focus on God. And what we're going to do out of this text is we're going to look specifically at a, an aspect of who God is that will nurture and, and fuel and invite you to pray, to know God as Father. It's the way Jesus teaches them. They come to him, they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And then he says, yes, pray like this, Father. 
That's actually shocking. That specific word. Jesus invites us to address God Almighty, holy, 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 whom the highest heavens cannot contain in this ever-expanding cosmos. The heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. Everything came into being through his word. Dwells in unapproachable light. Father. It's not that you can't pray all the mighty God. Jehovah Jireh. Lord of lords, king of kings, oh goodness, they're all good and right. But Jesus says this, he says, Father. Many have suggested that the reason the disciples actually asked Jesus how to pray, and you gotta remember, the people that were asking at this point, these were, these were good Jewish men. They, they, they prayed a lot. There was times of the day scripted that they would pray. They'd been raised to pray. It was part of not just, it was their almost civic duty. But there was something different about how Jesus prayed and said, would you teach us? And he would say it's because Jesus talked to God as Father. All of his prayers, actually, that are recorded in the Bible, all but one, he uses the word Father over 60 times. The only prayer where Jesus does not talk to God as Father is when he was on the cross, suffering in the place of all those that would trust him. He was actually becoming the curse. The, he was taking the judgment. He was taking the, the thing that everyone deserves, but, but those who trust in Christ, Christ took for them. When he's on the cross and he cries out this, he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And the answer is for all of you who trust in him. He was taking the punishment. In that place, he cried out different. But here's what's amazing. It's just two prayers later. His last words before he died. He used Father again. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last and died. Some of us are so used to talking with God or thinking about God as Father, we lose touch with how shocking and scandalous it was. In the Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible... Only 14 times is God ever referred to as father. And there's not a single situation, a single occurrence that I could find where when God was talked to his father that it was personal. It was always uh, the father of Israel, the father of the nation, the father of, of this people. It was never my father or our father. If you want to learn how to pray, start here. Father. Now, like many teenagers, I went through a phase, I don't know if it was a year or a year and a half, where I decided to not call my father, father, or my dad, dad. I decided I wanted to call him by his first name. And so, it's like, hey, Bob, Rob's here. You know, it's like, I don't know if it was like, we all go through this, like, I want to assert my independence, and I'm going to throw off this, this title, and I'm going to talk to you as if you're my, my, my peer. And so, it's like, hey, Bob, how are you doing? Hey, Bob. And I look back on that phase, and I actually really regret it. There's only two people in the entire world that can call my dad, dad. Anyone can call him Bob. Only my brother and I can call him dad. And I think about my kids, and I, I love when they call me dad. Or as one of my kids calls me Big Poppy. Um, I love it when you call me Big Papa. That's uh, where it came from. It's funny, right? I just, sometimes I like it when they call me sir, but, but really... I do. <laughs> when they call me dad, it resonates with my heart differently. It lands on me differently. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Yeah. Father. I love how G.I. Packer captures in his book, Knowing God. He says this. He says, 
Father is the Christian name for God. There's a lot of other ones, but he would argue that that's the most central one. You want to pray? Start here. Father. And talk about how I became a father. Um, I became a father, one of the ways was through adoption, which is also the thing God has used in my life, um, one of the things to make his love and make the story of the gospel, his good news of how he claims and forgives and welcomes any of us. And it's made it really real to me. And as I share these stories, I just want you to know, I always try to remember, I did ask my kids on this, so I'm not throwing their stuff out there. But when I think about adopting our daughter, Lily, from China, my wife and I, we, we, we just had this sense that we had a daughter that was there for us. And so we began to pray into that and, and, and do the work of like pursuing it. You know, you're filling out the, the paperwork and you're, you're paying the fees and you're asking other people to pray with you and would God bring our, our daughter home? And then you get this glorious day when, you, when the email comes and after years of waiting, you get this email that comes and says, we, we have found your daughter, here's your daughter. Begin to make your travel plans to come over so that, that you might be able to receive her and bring her back home. And so so my wife and I did that. We get on a plane and we, we go to, to China and we go and we seek her, her, her out. And, and, and when we got to, to, to meet her for the very first time, she was two and a half years old. And I remember walking into this room and there's a number of adoptions taking place and there's just a lot of noise and a lot of chaos, a lot of joy, a lot of fear, a lot of everything that was happening in this room. And when Lily was brought in and, and I remember my wife crouching down and she got just down kind of on her knees right in front of our, our baby girl. And there's this look on my wife's face and I've only seen it four times, and the four times I've seen is when our two kids were born and when our two kids were adopted, and it's this look of like, oh my goodness, you're finally mine. You're finally here. I will love you forever. When we think about the gospel of how God gets us, here's the thing. Lily did nothing. To, she did nothing. She didn't pursue it. She didn't, she couldn't have. She didn't, she didn't give us like a resume. It wasn't like they sent us like, here's her, 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 her resume of all of her accomplishments. She is worthy of you. Look what she'll do. Look what, now she is amazing. But that's not why we adopt her. We just, for whatever reason, God set our hearts on her. She couldn't, get on a plane. She couldn't figure out the bus system. She couldn't buy the ticket. She couldn't travel to us. And we came in. This is the story of the gospel. God, for whatever reason, in his divine compassion, said, I just want to set my love on you. I just want to come claim you. You can't come to me. So I'm going to send Christ for you. You can't earn your way up. You can't pay your way up. You can't, like, and so what God just says, here's my son, my very son. I'm gonna give of his, he's gonna give of his life for you. He's gonna become a curse for you. He's gonna die for you. And then he's gonna resurrect in order that this might happen. You might be brought into sons and daughters. I love how J.I. Packer again says it in the book, Knowing God. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper and given the family name. Oh, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And that's why Jesus says it's from that identity, as sons and daughters, that we pray, Father, Father. There's a passage of the Bible, there's a number of passages. Here's a verse of the Bible that brings these ideas together, how sonship and daughtership are connected with prayer. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's another way of saying crying out in prayer, crying out in need, crying out. 
Um, I shared this story before, but it was so powerful to me. Like I said, it just made the gospel loud and made his love and his presence very loud to me. We adopted our son Judson from Ethiopia. He was um, 10 months old, and we went to Ethiopia and met our son, and just, just a remarkable baby, just a remarkable young man. He, just, he still has the, just a great smile. He had just a great smile. And remember, we got home to Bellingham, and we get in our house, and I'm playing with him on the carpet, and, and like after 15, 20 minutes, he just kind of lays down, and he falls asleep, and you know, it's just, it's just peaceful just peaceful. And, and day after day, that's what he was like. He was the easiest, easiest 10-month-old I've ever met in my entire life. I was like, praise God, hallelujah. He would sleep through the night every night. I know, you're jealous. <laughs> He's amazing. Until about a month in. He was a month in, and every night, he would just sleep, sleep, sleep. And I remember, I don't know if it was like one, two in the morning, but one night, I just hear him start to cry. He just starts to cry and cry and wail. And I remember getting up, and I go into his room, and I find him in the crib, and I lean over the crib, and he is just crying, and he is yelling. And in that moment, God made this Galatians verse really loud to me, really loud to me. And as I rubbed his back and I sang over him, this passage became loud, and here's how it became loud to me. He didn't cry because he didn't think anyone would come. And finally, he realized he has a father, and he's got a mother. He knows there's somebody there. I mean, what's the point of calling out? What's the point of praying if nobody's there to hear it? But Jesus says, no, there's a father. There's a father who's there. There's a father who cares. There's a father who knows. There's a father. The Bible says things like this. God takes every tear, tracks it in a bottle. He keeps track of the tossings and turnings. He knows the needs. He knows what you need before you even ask. And he's your father. Grand and great, but accessible. If you want to grow in prayer, don't focus on prayer. Focus on the Father. Let me do a little bit more with this. I want to focus on what type of Father. I realize there can be Father ones. I know that this can land on us differently depending on your relationship with your Father. This passage actually tells us a lot about the Father and in many ways does so by doing this, um, like how much more. We see that down in verse 13. Jesus is like, you know, you, dads, who are evil. I was like that little thing he threw in there. Jesus like, I like, you know, just remind you that you contend towards selfishness and all these things. But he does it by way of contrast, not to insult us, but say, but oh, look at the father. How much more? Or to kind of say how radically different the father is. And what we see in this section, really from verse five and following, is at least two things. The father loves to hear us pray. And the father loves to answer prayer. You want to grow in prayer, don't Focus on prayer. Focus on the Father who loves to hear us pray and loves to answer prayer. I'll take both of those. Um, Loves to hear us pray. The biggest interpretive challenge I would suggest to you in this parable um, of this friend at midnight um, centers probably on one word, the word impudence. It's a a tricky word, just the word impudence. You Google that real quick when we read it. What does that even mean? And really three aspects of that word. How's it being used? How is Jesus using it in this story? I think three of the issues are, how does he, like what's the definition? Just what does it mean? Who's he apply it to? And when he uses it, is it like a good thing or a bad thing? And so I'm gonna try to unpack this and then hopefully kind of bring it together because this will pull a number of threads. This might be a little tricky to navigate. It's probably easier to read than to say, but hopefully this will, will put it together. Um, let's take it in those three orders, defining who's it about and then is the word positive or negative. The word impudence can mean this, insolence, audacity, 
I like this one. Cheeky. I mean, you're being cheeky. Brazen. You're being shameless and you have no shame. If you look at the footnote on the English Standard Version, the Bible we're, we're preaching from, it actually says the word can mean persistence. And then we apply the word. Okay, definition, we're not totally sure. But then we apply the word. Who's it about? It's, and, and the reason it's tricky is that the, the grammar doesn't totally tell us. I tell you this, though he will not get up verse 8 and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Well, who's the his referring to? Is that, is that the friend who was needy and had someone come and visit him and now lacks bread to be able to provide for him? Is that the, the, the neighbor who's in bed and his kids are asleep? And it, like, who is the his here? So there's a big question there. And then, is it positive or negative? Is Jesus offering this, like, go be impudent? Like, uh, go, go be persistent in your prayer. Is that how he's using it? Or is he saying, no, uh, like, this was, like, this is an example of something else. Let me give you uh, the historical use of the word and then try to bring a little bit into the context of the 258 occurrences of this word that are known and written up to 4 AD. So after Christ, for those four centuries, there's not one single use of this word that's positive. It's never used positive. The, only, the first time it became, came to be used positively is when Christians took this parable as a, as a, Jesus was encouraging us to do that little footnote translation of the ESV to be persistent in our prayer. That was the first time it ever had any sort of positive meaning put into it, that it was about being persistent. The question is, well, what's right? I would suggest you the historical uses on the side of negative, 258 times, always negative, but I think we can get to an answer by simply thinking through what the implications are and what the context is. Remember the context. Jesus, you know, Jesus' disciples came and said, would you teach us to pray? So the parable he tells is to try to help them learn how to pray. So let's try to unpack it. So does Jesus tell this parable to urge us to pray with perseverance? Is that the, like, I want you to, to knock and to seek and to keep pounding and going and that finally, maybe, maybe, maybe God will, will wake up, he won't be distracted, and he'll come and he'll help you even though he doesn't want to? Is that, is, is Jesus, now persistence in prayer is good, I'm not, we're not denying that, but is that really what Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, okay, be really persistent, be fervent, and some would say like the ask, seek, not kind of give this like progression of intensity, let it get more intense, and then the friend who doesn't want to get up will get up and help you. Like, is that what's being said, that we have to wear God out and wake God up? I shared this story about a year ago, um, but I'll wrap myself out again. I was flying back from Vegas. I was on a work trip for um, the church planning organization that our church is part of, that I do some things for, and I'm flying back. And usually when I'm flying, I, um, I'll work on the way. And then I'll kind of play on the way back. So it's when I catch up on movies and things. And so I worked on the way, really busy couple of days, super productive meetings, left tons of wind in my sail, really excited. And, and I was getting on the plane and I was in row 17. My favorite row was row 17. It's the, it's the exit row. And, and that, what's great about 17 is the row in front of you can't recline into it. 17 can recline to the row behind you. You should never do that if you're in that row because it's mean to 18, but I like having the option. So, so I'm, in, I'm in 17. And, and I'm just loving life. I'm not in my favorite seat, which is 17D, which is on the, the right side of the plane because I'm a lefty and I like to have my arm kind of not bumping into my neighbor. But I am in 17C, but check this out. There was no one in B. No one next to me. 
There's a guy over by the window, and he just fell asleep on the window, didn't bug me, nothing. I had glorious space, put my legs straight out, I got my iPad up, I got my AirPods in, and I'm watching a movie. It was like, thank you, Lord, there's no one next to me. You know how it is, right, when you're sitting there, and people are coming in, and no one's in your seat, and you think you see the last one sit, and you're like, yes, and then someone walks in, and you're like, no, and then they sit somewhere else, and so it happened for me. It happened, and I'm sitting there, and there's no one next to me, and it was glorious. It was glorious. But then there was this guy up in row 15. And in 15, he kept, he kept looking back. Kept looking back. Looking back. And then he finally got up and he left. And I, I thought he was going to come talk to me. He didn't. He, I think he was going to the bathroom or something. I was like, whew, in the clear. And then he came back and he paused at row 17. And he didn't talk to me. He talked to the person in D because next to him, he had some, he, it was an open seat too. We had, it was Glorious, right? So he's sitting there, open seat, uh, person by the window, and I, could, I couldn't hear exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, hey, my girlfriend and I aren't sitting next to each other. Would you be willing to switch with me so we could sit next to each other? And he replied, he replied no. <laughs> he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm traveling with this guy. We're good. You, you got your seat. You go back to your seat. And so in that moment, what do you think I did? I prayed. I said, God, please have him go back to his seat. Um, I'm a true story. I'm just telling you, I did. I was like, please, please make him go away. And so I kind of just tried to tunnel vision back to my, um, this is a really important work thing I'm doing here. Just leave me alone. And uh, so he goes back to his seat. And I was like, I'm in the clear. But then he started looking back again. And I was like, oh, no, Lord. Please, no. And he looked back and he looked back. And so I decided um, to do what anyone would do, any Christ follower would do in this situation. I faked being asleep. So <laughs> I put my head back and I closed my eyes. I'm just being honest. I closed my eyes. And I'm sitting there and uh, I kind of open like one of my eyes, just like a little sliver. <laughs> and then I find I just felt guilty. So I'm like, ah. So I opened my eyes, and that was like his cue, and he jumps up, and he comes back, and he says, hey, uh, sorry to do this. My girlfriend and I are traveling together. She never flies. She is terrified, and she's losing it, and um, we're not sitting together. Would you be willing to switch with me so we can sit next to each other? What do you think I did? Fine. I mean, I literally think I said it like that. I was like, I wanted him to know my displeasure, but that I felt manipulated in the situation. So I said, fine. And so I got up, packed up my stuff, went back to his seat. He didn't tell me that he was the piggiest person that's ever flown in the history of the world. His seat was an absolute style. I mean, there was stuff everywhere. I'm like, I don't know how you do this in 45 minutes, right? Just stuff everywhere. So now I'm wedged into the seat. I got people next to me. I got his junk everywhere. And him and his girlfriend are back here and. 17, just loving life, right? And so I'm sitting there, and you would think at this moment that I felt good about it. I didn't feel good about it. I was still kind of frustrated. And then at one point, I get up, and, and I go back to him, and um, I was like, hey, are you feeling better? And she's leaning on him, and she just kind of sighs. She's like, yeah, thank you. I still didn't feel good about it, because the way my brain works is I, I started going, I bet this is a scam. I bet... <laughs> like, I'm a little neurotic, just in case you haven't realized that. Um, Is the father like that? Like, is he resistant? He has to be won over. We got to just like beat him down with our words. We got to nag at him like a kid before, fine. Here's the, you can have another hour of screen time, fine. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. 
Look what he says next. He makes this comparison between earthly fathers and himself. He says, oh, how much more? How much more does God give good gifts? I think we could say, how much more is he so unlike being the resistant one to get up and help? How quick he is to respond. I think we'd say it like this. If a neighbor will get up in the middle of the night to help a rude friend, how much more will our father help his kids? If a dad, even though evil, knows how to give good gifts, how much more will a perfect father? The parable surrounding context, it's not so much about how to pray. And that's good. It it gives us a how. The the Lord's prayer is in this. It's a wonderful prayer. Gives us some of how to pray. But that's not Christ's emphasis. When, When his disciples says, teach us to pray, he didn't actually go to the how. He didn't go to the what. He, didn't, he, he actually goes into the why. He says, you have a father. You have a father that loves to hear you pray. It's not going to be interrupted. I still remember waking up, um, waking up for Bible time in the morning. It was five or so, five or six or whatever, and I found my, my oldest daughter was on the couch sleeping, and she had a little note next to her that just said, bad dreams. And when she woke up, I said, honey, why didn't you tell us? She's like, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to bug you. I don't want to interrupt you. And I remember, and I don't really, I want to believe this, but I'm a father who is evil, as Jesus told me in this text. So I don't always respond this way. But I want to be like, you, you, can, you never interrupt us. I never want you to carry a burden by yourself. I don't want you to feel like you can't bring anything. I mean, how often, dear Christian, you go like, ah, oh, my thing's not that big. God's got bigger stuff to handle. God's big enough to handle it all. Amen? Amen. And he says, Come. You have a father who loves to hear you pray. Bring whatever you want. If you want to grow in prayer, don't focus on prayer. Focus on the, help me out with this, the father. Focus on the father. It's not the only thing to do, but it's a big one. And he loves to answer prayers. That's verses nine and following. It's like, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. And then this beautiful phrase, everyone who asks receives. God isn't resistant He's ready. The Father loves to hear us pray, and he loves to answer prayers, sometimes in really dramatic and very specific ways. I'll give you a story. Um, it was spring of 2021. Um, we were still meeting over in the, um, the hotel down the road, and Sarah and Sasha Pascal had reached out to me. This is our, one of our church planning teams that's in Moldova, and they said, the vehicle we have keeps breaking. We really need to get another vehicle. Um, do you think maybe Redeemer could help out a little bit? Do you think he could try to raise some money? I said, absolutely, on it. And so I show up to church that Sunday, and I just, said, I just said, hey, church, this is what they need. Let's give to this. Um, and we set up a, a, a fund. I think I did a challenge. I said, hey, why don't you do this? Whatever you fill up at the gas station this week, just match that for Moldova. So it's, you know, 28, 32, match that. You know, the time gas wasn't expensive as it is now, now it would be like, but but, um, whatever it is, just match that, right? So I say that, and then later that night, I just felt like, hey, I want to check to see if people started to give so I can give an update to this family, and I checked, and there's a family in the church, one family that gave $10,000. Now, the the amount is wonderful, is wonderful. Every amount that people gave is wonderful. The Lord values and treasures all sacrificial giving. I want you to hear that, but but I obviously was very encouraged by it, and I thought the Pascals would be encouraged, and so I sent them an email, and I said, hey, I just want you to know, because they would wake up and get this email, and to let them know, I just want you to know that your church has already stepped up. You are not forgetting. You are seen. They love you. They love what you're doing, and guess what? One family gave $10,000. 
They replied back to me, and they said, that's crazy. You know why that's crazy? They go, that's crazy because you know what? We, we've never done this before, but we just said, God, we, you, know we, you know what we need, and if you could have one family give $10,000, amen? I mean, that's like, you, like, and here's the thing, oh, it's a coincidence. It's like, no, it's God. It's a father who loves to hear prayers and loves to answer prayers. Now, let me give you the caveat with this. You could do all sorts of crass things with the illustration I just, oh, God gave $10,000. Maybe I should ask for fifteen. <laughs> don't do that. Um, well, ask for it. Just ask for it for someone else maybe. I don't know. But it's not about doing I mean, Christ. It's just, it's just one illustration how God loves to answer prayers. But wait a minute. I'll do a little wait a minute. There's a lot of stuff that you've prayed for that you haven't gotten. The Father loves to hear me pray, and the Father loves to answer prayers. How come he hasn't always answered them? I was talking with a couple, um, actually in between our services, between the 9-11, that was part of our church for a number of years while they were students at Western. Really wonderful couple. Really just a total joy. And the bummer about having a city that there's a lot of migration in is you get to see people that you fall in love with, that you love doing ministry with, that you love being around and love celebrating King Jesus with. They, they leave, and when they left, it was more bitter than sweet. You know, you just didn't want to see them go, and we wish they would have stayed um, and so when I saw him this morning, I said, yes, you moved back. I said, no. <laughs> but back in 2020, we actually came back and we visited with the sole reason to pray about should we move back. We really want to. Our hearts were in this church. Our hearts are in this city. We really miss it. We want to raise our family here. We want to be a part of this community. And so they came back. And the husband and wife, they prayed. They came to the service. They were here all weekend. They came to the service. And as they left, they both were like, God told us no. It's not the prayer we want. It's not the prayer I would want. What do you do with that? Well, I think what you can do is actually connect verses 8 and 9 of this text. He will rise and give him, listen to this phrase, whatever he needs. Not always wants. Not always asks for. So it needs. Now, now there is the lavish invitation. Ask, seek, knock. See, the great thing about prayer before a father who's always wise and always perfect is ask for whatever you want and just trust he'll give you what you need. Tim Keller says it like this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Now, that may land on you differently depending on some of the unanswered prayers that you've given. I get that. I get there's a lot of, a lot of different hurts, a lot of different backgrounds, but at this let me, you have a father in heaven who loves to hear you pray, who's infinitely wise, who adores you, who's with you, who's able God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. If you want to grow in prayer, don't focus on prayer. Focus on the Father because part of it, we have a Father, but he's also in heaven. So you might have noticed that in the prayer here that Jesus teaches, he just says Father and moves into some petitions. It's a little different than another part of the Bible in Matthew 6 where Jesus teaches a very similar prayer. And in that one, he says, Our Father in heaven. But Luke didn't miss it. He just put it at the end. It's down in verse 13 your heavenly father. It's saying the one who sits up in the heavens, God. So your father is God. So he likes to hear you pray. He loves to answer your prayer. And because he's not us, he can actually, he can actually do it. You want to grow in prayer. Don't focus on prayer. Focus on the father who's in heaven. Now for years, I'll end with this. The most confusing part of this passage 
is how Jesus ends it. Let me, let me read it for you again. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give? And what I would expect is give good gifts to his children. But he doesn't say that. He actually defines it differently. He says, the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It seemed out of place to me as I think through the flow of the text. His disciples say, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them, okay, pray for God's name to be hallowed. That means to be holified, shown off. Let your kingdom come, let your reign, your rule be in this place. Uh, would, you, would you provide my daily bread? Give me the tangible things that I need to, to make it through the day. And would you deal with my sin? Would you forgive me and help me reconcile and forgive others? Like it's very much like it's petitions and things. And, and, and he ends with he'll give the Holy Spirit. And even the illustration he uses is a friend who at midnight, he's got some buddy, he needs three loaves of bread. I mean, it's all, it feels tangible. So you think like the ask and seek and knock would be kind of tethered to that. But Jesus's punchline is this, he'll give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. And I kept saying, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And I didn't understand. I mean, I'm like, praise God. That's wonderful. Oh, it's, it's a grand, the, the presence of God with us is such a grand gift, but I didn't understand it in this passage until, until I think it was like Friday afternoon, so two days ago. Um, and I think what it's this is, the Spirit is the ultimate answer to the disciples' request, teach us to pray. I think what Jesus was saying, if you want to know how to pray, you got to know the Father, and to know the Father, you got to have the Spirit. You can't do it apart from that because the spirit is who's gonna make the father real to you and make me come alive to you and empower your ability to even call out to God and, and realize you're not just throwing words out into the atmosphere, but there is a father who wants to, to hear. And again, let me go back to Galatians 4, 6. Maybe you missed this part, but let me say it again. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, the way God becomes real is not through our techniques. It's through the intervention of God to say, here, I'm going to give you my spirit so you know me. And Christian, if you're a Christian, the spirit has taken up permanent residence in your life. If you're not, you ask God and he will do the very same thing for you. Now, we can grieve the spirit and ignore the spirit and not respond to the spirit. But God has taken up residence so that the truth of a text like this, that you have a father, will become real. My son Judson, he learned to cry because he found out he had a father. My hope is 13 years later, he knows his mom and his dad more deeply and more profoundly. But the interesting thing is that before he knew us, we knew him. Before we were real to him, he was very real to us. It's the same thing with your father in heaven. Before you ever knew he was real, you were real to him. And what he does is he sends his spirit to wake us up, to tune our hearts, to change them, that he might come alive. Tim Keller again. We should not decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is and prayer will follow. And what Jesus is saying is the Spirit's the one that's gonna do that. Remember Lucy and Aslan, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The secret to prayer is this. Don't focus on prayer. It's, it's gotta play. Oh my goodness, for sure. Workshops, sermons, all sorts of things. Don't focus primarily on prayer. Focus on the Father, and then you'll pray. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, Father in heaven, Abba Father, we ask that you would fill us with the Spirit, that Jesus would come alive to us, that you would come alive to us,
If I might be so bold, let me pray on behalf of everyone here who does not yet know you. God, would you grant them the spirit to change their hearts, to grant them belief, to grant them trust that the one who always called you father was forsaken so that they might be brought in, not as traitors, but brought into the family meal and given the family name. For all here who do know you, God, would you remind them that they do not lack, that I do not lack, that we do not lack what we need to be able to pray. Christ's disciples asked, we asked, teach us to pray, and what you say is know the Father and come to him in the Spirit. Might you do that work in us for our joy, for our freedom, for, 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 for a, a freedom in asking, a realness in trusting, a connection and communion. There are no fatherless ones in your kingdom. There are none forsaken. Oh, Father, we don't have to wear you down. We don't have to convince you through our many words. We don't have to get them right. Sometimes we can just groan before you. And you know. And you hear. And you give exactly what we need. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.